Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 75 of the show, and uh, it's a playoff-heavy episode this week. Of course, uh, the NHL playoffs are uh, wrapping up their first rounds, and uh, the NBA playoffs are in the second round. We're almost through with those. We'll get you caught up on both of, of those and how they're going. On PGA Tour, we had a Pretty sloppy, nasty golf tournament that got played this past weekend. Uh, and then look ahead to this weekend's tournament, which is here locally in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then, of course, Major League Baseball, we're another week into that season. Um, so we'll take a look there and get you caught up on, on how the standings are looking. But uh, we are going to start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, this past weekend's tournament was the Wells Fargo Championship. That was at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farm. Is in Potomac, Maryland, which is only about 10 miles northwest of Washington, D.C. The course was a par 70. Distance was 7,160 yards. Now, this tournament is normally played at the Quail Hollow Country Club in North Carolina, but that is the site of the President's Cup, which is held uh, going to be in the fall. It's obviously a premier event, so the PGA Tour wanted to keep it uh, in good shape and keep the course in ready condition for that tournament. So uh, they moved this tournament over to TPC Potomac. <clears throat> and uh, TPC Potomac has actually held 21 PGA Tour events. So it is certainly a capable course. The last PGA Tour event was here uh, that was here was in 2018. So um, the course itself was built on the Rock Run uh, Stream Valley, which is the main tributary to the Potomac River. So a lot of creeks, streams that run through the course. Uh, bunkers were a little deeper than normal. And then, of course, uh, we'll get to it in a second. But if you watch the broadcast, you saw a lot of uh, rain and mist and uh, just ugly weather. Uh, the field itself was, I would say it was above average. Okay, You got Rory McIlroy. Gary Woodland, Webb Simpson, Patrick Reed, Jason Day, Abraham Answer, Tyrell Hatton, Max Homa, Tony Finau, guys like that, Mark Leishman, Matthew Fitzpatrick. So there were some big-name golfers out there. Some of those guys did well. Some of them did not do well. But um, Thursday's opening round was, was good. The weather cooperated. Saw some pretty low scores. Now, with the par 70 out there, we we knew we weren't going to see any outrageous scores, all right? But <clears throat> we did uh, we did have several lower scores on Thursday. Um, but then Friday and Saturday, it was just filled with rain. It pretty much rained all day Friday and Saturday. Uh, it was cool and damp, which obviously affected scoring. Uh, scoring between... Rounds two and three was was much higher than it was 
uh, in rounds one and four. So um, if you were going to make a move, it, it was not going to happen on Friday. Um, that's why there was several of those guys that I listed, bigger name players, missed the cut uh, just because of the way that the weather was on Friday. But uh, in the end, your winner for this thing was Max Homa. He won with a score of eight under par. Again, just a single-digit score, which is not something we see a whole lot on tour, uh, but it did happen this week, I would say, thanks in part to the par 70, but mainly in part due to the weather. Uh, But this was Max Homa's fourth career victory on tour, and it was his third victory in the last 16 months. Uh, He's turned into a a pretty formidable golfer. Uh, When he's on, he's in good shape. Now, interestingly enough, with Homa for this thing, I mentioned that Friday's second round um, was probably the toughest scores along with um, along with Saturday's third round. But Max Homa actually uh, came out with a three under sixty seven in round one, then followed that up on Friday in the rain with a four under sixty six, which was his best round of the tournament. He then shot one over par on Saturday in the rain, and then two under on Sunday. Now. Uh, there was a three-way tie for second at six under par. That was Matthew Fitzpatrick, Cameron Young, and Keegan Bradley. Now, Keegan Bradley was actually your 54-hole leader. He had a two-shot lead over Max Homa going into Sunday's final round. Keegan Bradley was at eight under. Homa was at six under. And those two, uh, Bradley shot a two over 72. Homa shot two under 68. So they just flip-flopped. Homa ended at 8-under, Keegan Bradley at 6-under. Matthew Fitzpatrick put together his lowest round of the weekend, which was a 3-under 67. He did that on Sunday's final round. And then Cameron Young shot a 4-under 66 on Sunday to get all the way up there. So some pretty good golf being played there. Uh, Solo fifth place was Rory McIlroy at 4-under. He had kind of an up and down. He shot 3-under on Thursday, 3-over on Friday. Headed into the weekend even par, and then fired off back to back two under sixty eights. So that was good enough for solo fifth. There was a three way tie for sixth at three under par. It was uh, Stefan Jaeger, Lanto Griffin, and Anirban Lahiri. Both of them, or all three of them rather, were at three under par. So you can see there were quite a few shots back of Max Homa. Now all in all. Uh, there were only 24 golfers that were at even par or better. All right, so guys that finished even par are like Sergio Garcia, Ricky Fowler, Corey Connors, all right? Um, and then that was it. You know, there was 24 guys at even par or better. So uh, Jason Day finished at one under. He was your leader after a blazing seven under 63 in that opening round. But... Um, yeah, like I said, kind of a sloppy turn. If you watched it, uh, it was it was really messy. Uh, the rain kind of it just wasn't pleasant to watch. It wasn't one of those tournaments where it was sunny, good weather, um, pleasant to watch. It it was it was kind of sloppy and ugly there for a while. You know, bad weather, bad golf doesn't exactly equal uh, great viewing. But uh, the tournament itself was still competitive, which is all really we can ask for. Uh, so that's that. Like I said, all in all, it was a good tournament, uh, tough course, and um, we move forward to this weekend's tournament, which is the AT and T Byron Nelson, which is at TPC Craig Ranch here in McKinney, Texas. 
It's a par 72, distance 7,468 yards. Now, McKinney is just north of Dallas uh, here uh, in Texas, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful course, TPC Craig Ranch. This is actually the second year that the Byron Nelson is being played here. Last year was the first year, and they uh, signed a five-year deal with TPC Craig Ranch. So uh, we still have three more uh, tournaments at TPC Craig Ranch in addition to this year. So uh, it's a nice course. It's a nice nice suburb of Dallas. Uh, golfing in Texas is, is a lot different than in other states. All right, The ground is super hard generally. Um, it's very hot, you know, a lot of wind. Um, this course particularly, TPC Craig Ranch, it has uh, Zoiza fairway grass and bent grass on the greens. Um, there's a creek that runs through the course. Uh, Rowlett Creek actually crosses this course 14 times. So uh, similarly to last week where we have some creeks and some stream action going on, that's what's going to happen again this week. Uh, it's a par 72, so we should see some pretty low scores this week. Uh, the field itself, it's certainly above average. Now, this tournament, this weekend, is one week before the PGA Championship, uh, which is our second major championship of the year. That's uh, the week after this weekend. So a uh, lot of big names out there. Seven of the top 15 golfers in the world are going to be out there. Uh, world number one, Scotty Scheffler. We'll tee it up. Uh, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Hideki Matsuyama, um, Xander Schauffele is actually making his Byron Nelson debut, and Brooks Kepka is coming back out for the first time since the Masters. A uh, few other notable first-time participants in the Byron Nelson, you have Tommy Fleetwood, Francesco Molinari, and Bubba Watson. Now, the PGA Championship uh, a week after this weekend is at Southern Hills Country Club, which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, McKinney, Texas to Tulsa, Oklahoma is not very far. So a lot of these guys are are uh, just getting their warm-up round in for the PGA Championship. That's why we see a lot of first-timers, a lot of big-name players out there. Um, keep an eye out for the Texas boys in this one. Scotty Scheffler uh, grew up in Dallas, used to play, and he's played this course. Will Zalatoris, he lives here in Dallas. He has played this course hundreds of times is what he said. Uh, so I like for Scheffler and or Zalatoris to do well. Ryan Palmer, he's a native Texan as well. He always seems to play well in the Texas events, and so too does Jordan Spieth. Um, Jordan Spieth will be back out there playing this week. Uh, so I like for those four guys. If I'm highlighting four guys, those are the four guys that I would like to do well. Uh, they all grew up here, played here a lot, and uh, they know what it takes to play in this Texas heat um, so it'll be a good tournament. Like I said, uh, the week before a major is kind of iffy sometimes. Sometimes you get a good turnout. Sometimes you get a bad turnout. But this weekend uh, at the Byron Nelson is going to be a star-studded field there. A lot of big-name guys, and it should be some damn good golf uh, in preparation for our second major of the year. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and do a playoff standings update as we are. There's eight first-round series. Seven of them have played five games, and one of them is already over. It was a sweep. So we'll get into all of that. Starting off in the Eastern Conference, the top overall seed, President Trophy-winning Florida Panthers, played the second wild-card team, Washington Capitals. Last week, we already knew Washington had won game one, four to two. 
So uh, game two, Florida came out, just uh, thumped them from the very get-go. Florida won 5-1. to one. Game three, Washington returned the favor with a 6-1 to one victory. Game four was huge. Uh, Florida ended up winning 3-2 to two in overtime, uh, but had they lost, they would have been down 3-1. So that was a massive game for Florida, considering they are the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. Uh, so they tied the series at two games apiece with an overtime win. And then game five, uh, Carter Verhage had a massive night, uh, two goals and two assists, and route to a 5-3 to three Florida victory there to get a 3-2 to two series lead. Uh, that Game 5 win, like I said by the Panthers, they were down. They, they won 5-3 to three in that Game 5 win. However, they scored five unanswered goals. They were down 3 to nothing uh, fairly early on, all right? Um, and, and Florida came back and completed their sixth comeback this season of three or three or more goals, which ties... Uh, or which is a record in a single NHL season. This is their sixth comeback, sixth comeback victory of three goals or more, which is, like I said, an NHL record for that many victories in a season. Uh, and this is also, but that win puts them up a 3-2 in the series. Uh, this is the Florida Panthers' first playoff series lead since 2012. So it's been a full decade since the Panthers have had a lead in a playoff series. So uh, pretty impressive stuff. They have a chance to close it out in Washington uh, on Friday night. So we'll see if they're able to do that. But, um, yeah, it's Florida had a little scare, but I, they're, they're finally starting to find their groove. And they're doing that uh, without Sergei Bobrovsky even playing that great. Uh, he really hasn't. So uh, if he can find his groove, this team is going to be moving right along. The other Atlantic Division series, number two Toronto Maple Leafs against number three Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, last week, we knew, I believe, the first two games, perhaps, in this series. Uh, Toronto won game one, five to nothing, and then Tampa Bay returned the favor, won five to three in game two to even it up. Uh, Toronto took game three by a score of five to two, and then uh, Tampa Bay got it rolling in game four. They won seven to three. That score isn't even really as close as the game was. I think it was five or six to nothing at one point <clears throat> for Tampa. Uh, and then Toronto got a few in the third period there. But uh, that tied the series at two. Game five uh, was in uh, Toronto, and Toronto came out on top four to three. All right. And uh, I think Austin Matthews, uh, he's he scored a few goals in this series, picking up where he left off in the regular season. But Toronto has a chance to close it out. Uh, in Game 6 in Tampa Bay, but uh, I just don't see that happening. I think uh, I picked Tampa Bay to win this series in seven games, and I do believe that that's what's going to happen. I think Tampa's going to win two straight. Um, you know, they're at home Game 6, and then they have to go to Toronto, but Toronto's known for folding and flopping. Uh, the Maple Leafs are basically the uh, NHL's equivalent to the Dallas Cowboys, so um, I, I, sir, I do feel confident that Tampa can win the last two games of that series. Uh, over still in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division Series, <clears throat> the top overall seed in the Metro uh, is the Carolina Hurricanes. They played the first wild card, <clears throat> wild card team, Boston Bruins. And we knew this one last week. Carolina won the first two games pretty easily, 5-1 and 5-2. All right, uh, Carolina was 
just all over them. Boston did come back, though, on home ice, and they won both of their home games by scores of 4-2 to two and 5-2. to two. So uh, Boston gave it right back to them. David Pasternak scored several times, <clears throat> got the Bruins uh, even up at 2. Game 5 was back in Carolina, and they took care of business there. The Hurricanes did. They won 5-1. to one. All right, so Carolina currently leads that series three games to two uh, with Game 6 Thursday night in Boston. So um, I think Carolina is going to finish the job in six games, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised if we go back to Raleigh for Game 7. The final Eastern Conference series in the Metro Division, number two, New York Rangers against the number three, Pittsburgh Penguins. All right, now in game two, we knew the game one, Pittsburgh had won four to three in triple overtime. All right, we talked about that last week. Uh, well, New York came out in game two and won five to two to even the series. <clears throat> and then Pittsburgh in game three and four really found their offense. All right, uh, but before game three, uh, in that game two loss, Casey DeSmith, the goalie for the Penguins, got hurt, and it was a core muscle injury. He's already had core muscle surgery, and he's going to miss the remainder of the playoffs. So Louis Domingue, who was their third-string goalie heading into the playoffs, is now their starter. Um, Tristan Jari, their starter in the regular season, is uh, probably going to be back uh, possibly for Game 6. Um, certainly, I would think, for Game 7 perhaps. But, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll get him back. But nonetheless, in Games 3 and 4, uh, Pittsburgh put up seven goals in each of those games. They won seven to four and seven to two to take a three to one series lead. Game five was back at Madison Square Garden, and uh, New York took care of business there, five to three, to bring the series a little closer. In that game, Sidney Crosby took a, an inadvertent elbow to the head, basically from Jacob Truba, kind of ran into him, knocked him out of the game. I think that was in the second period. So uh, his status for Game 6 is unclear, uh, certainly for un, uh, Game 7 as well. We don't know if Crosby's going to be back, but if, if you know the Penguins go as Crosby goes. So if Crosby misses Game 6, you got to like New York's chances to even it up. And I picked the Rangers to win the series. I, I'm, just, I'm tired of picking against Pittsburgh because all they do is continue to prove me wrong. So um, I would not be shocked if Pittsburgh won uh, Friday night in Game 6 at home. But uh, if they don't have Crosby, it's going to be a little more difficult. So right now, Pittsburgh leads the series three games to two. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division matchups, the top overall seed in the West, the Colorado Avalanche, they played the second wildcard team, Nashville Predators. <clears throat> well, we knew, I think, the first game uh, last week on the episode, it was 7-2 to two Colorado. Well, things did not get much better for Nashville. Uh, they uh, the, the Avalanche won Game Two in overtime by a score of two to one, and that was the closest game of the series because Colorado would go on uh, to win games three and four by scores of seven to three and five to three to complete uh, a four-game sweep of the Nashville Predators. So um, Nashville has been eliminated from the playoffs. Colorado is the first team into the second round, not. Uh, not particularly surprising the way that Colorado has played this year, but um, I figured Nashville would win at least one game. Now, they didn't have UC Soros, their goalie, so that was a big reason, but uh, that Colorado team is scary. Uh, the other Central Division series, number two, Minnesota Wild against number three, St. Louis Blues. All right, we knew the first game in this series last week. It was 4 nothing St. Louis. Minnesota came back in game two. 
won six to two, and then followed that up with a five to one victory in game three. In that game, I believe they scored three goals in like the first or two goals in like the first three minutes of the game. I think Minnesota did there in game three, kind of really got to St. Louis. St. Louis, uh, you know, found their groove though. Uh, game four and game five, they both they won both of those games by scores of five to two in each game. Game five, Vladimir Tarasenko had a third period natural hat trick to lead St. Louis there. That game was tied going into the third period before Tarasenko got a hold of it and uh, got that hat trick. So St. Louis currently leads that series three games to two. Um, I picked Minnesota in seven, and uh, I still feel good about that. I think Minnesota's going to rebound and win game six. Then they'll go home for game seven and win that one. This is probably, these two teams are probably the most evenly matched uh, on paper anyways. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov leads the uh, playoffs in goals with seven. Uh, He's just continued his amazing season into the playoffs. So uh, he'll be a factor in game six on Thursday night. And uh, then again, if there's a game seven, that would be on Saturday. Um, The Pacific Division uh, series in the Western Conference, the top seed in the Pacific, the Calgary Flames. They played the first wild card team, my Dallas Stars. Now we knew after last week's episode, uh, Calgary had won the first game one to nothing. All right. Dallas in game two returned the favor with a two to nothing victory in Calgary. Now this series, let me back this up. This series has been absolutely banana land. All right. Um, it has been the most physical series. It has been the most defensive series and it has been the most tightly contested series out of all of the playoff series so far. Um, you know, Calgary certainly is the better team on paper, but the MVP of the playoffs right now is Dallas goalie Jake Ottinger. Uh, the dude is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he he's if if the if the Stars make it anywhere past the first round, uh, he's the playoff MVP because. He right now, through five games, Jake Ottinger leads the playoffs uh, in save percentage with a 9.56 save percentage. He's tied for second with a 163 goals against average. Uh, And he's seen just a massive amount of shots. Now, Calgary's goalie, Jacob Markstrom, he leads the playoffs in goals against average with a 121, and he's second in save percentage with 9.52. So basically, Ottinger and Markstrom are first and second in goals against average and save percentage so far through the first five games, all right? And they both have one shutout, all right? First two games were shutouts. Um, So the series went back to Dallas, tied 1-1. The Stars actually won game three at home, 4-2, all right, to take a 2-1 lead. Then Calgary came out rolling in game four. This game was just nuts. Calgary had 53 shots on goal, or 54, um, their last goal was an empty netter, but Jake Ottinger had 50 saves, and the Stars lost, all right? You know, he made, he let, he made 50 saves on 53 shots, Ottinger did, and, and the Stars lost 4-1 um, to one that game. That was just, uh, that's terrible. Uh, the Dallas Stars offense has been absolutely horrid. It's been a good defensive series, but Calgary, um, they went back home. Game 5 uh, was the other night. Dallas took a one to nothing lead into the third period. It was another real tight, close game, and then about uh, seven or eight minutes into the third period, Calgary broke the uh, broke the seal there and um, popped a couple goals in within a three minute span to take a two to one lead, and then they'd add another 
later on an empty netter to seal the deal three to one. But uh, as you can see, all the scores have been very low. There's been two shutouts. Uh, the Stars, uh, their offense, they have eight goals in five games, and two of them are empty netters. All right, so they really only have six actual goals in five games, which is just absolutely horrid. Uh, if it weren't for Jake Ottinger, this series would be over already. Um, and then on the Calgary side, they have scored more goals. Um, they have 10 goals in five games, but uh, they also have two empty netters as well. So basically eight eight actual goals in five games. That just tells you how defensive this series is. And the fact that Ottinger and Markstrom are one and two in save percentage and goals against average tells you uh, just how good the goaltending and the defense has been in this series. So this has been the best series to watch. Uh, Dallas goes home for game six on Friday night. Um, I do think they're going to win at home. Uh, I, I do. I think this is – originally I picked Calgary in six games when this, when I made my projections last week, but um, I'm feeling good about Dallas winning at home uh, on Friday night, uh, but we'll see. You know, I mean, it really depends on if they, if they can score some goals, they'll win the game. You only need about two goals to win a game in this series, and uh, Dallas has had a hard time doing that. They've scored either one or zero goals in three of the five games. So – uh, but this series uh, has been a barn burner. Uh, Calgary's Game 5 win gives them a 3-2 to series lead, and that was the only game in this series in which the team that scored first didn't win. All right, so uh, that series is turning out to be a good one. The other Pacific Division series in the Western Conference, number 2 Edmonton Oilers against the number 3 Los Angeles Kings. We knew last week the Kings won Game 1 4-3. to all right, Edmonton came out in game two and just dominated six to nothing, uh, even the series. Edmonton, again, scored six goals in game two. They scored eight goals in game three. They won eight to two. Uh, Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl both had, I think, three points in that game. Uh, so Edmonton was up 2-1 in the series. And then Los Angeles returned the favor with a shutout of their own, uh, winning game four, four to nothing. That tied the series at two. And then game five back in Edmonton, this thing actually went into overtime and uh, about a minute and a half into overtime, not very long. Uh, you know, normally playoff overtime games kind of get drawn out. Um, but this one was done within about 90 seconds uh, into overtime. Uh, Adrian Kempe uh, scored for the Kings to give them a 5-4 to four overtime victory. So the Kings currently have a 3-2 to two series lead with a chance to close out the Oilers at home on Thursday night. So that would be very shocking. Um, I predicted Edmonton would win. I'm not really sure who or how many people picked the Kings, uh, the Drew doughty list Kings, to come into this series and beat Edmonton. That's uh, full of, of high-profile players up front. So... Um, We'll definitely have all of these series wrapped up by the time we get to next week's episode. So next week we'll be able to recap the last couple games of each series and give you a preview for the uh, semifinals second round series. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a playoff update here in the NBA. Uh, all four series have played five games as we sit right now. Um, and as of last week, when we recapped the first two games, all the series have played two games at that point last week. So we've, we've played three more games in each of the series. Starting off in the Eastern Conference, the top-seeded Miami Heat are playing the number four-seed Philadelphia 76ers. That series was 2-0 Miami. 
Of course, we talked about last week, Joel Embiid uh, missed the first two games due to his facial injury and concussion. So his absence was definitely felt. He comes back into the lineup for game three. Philadelphia won that one by 20. They won 99 to 79. Got a big effort from Tyrese Maxey in the fourth quarter. I think he had 20 points in that fourth quarter. He's averaging uh, 20 points per game. Joel Embiid is averaging 19, and uh, James Harden's also averaging 19. He's come to life a little bit over these last two games, but that brought the series 2-1, to one, and then Philadelphia won game four as well, 116-108. to 108. So that evened the series at two games apiece. Went back to Miami for game five, and the Heat just absolutely dominated uh, Philadelphia. Never was particularly close. Uh, they won by 35 points, 120 to 85. So the series uh, shifts back to Philly for game six. Uh, Miami has a chance to close it out. The, uh, the home team has won every game in this series. So uh, Philadelphia is at home for game six. So if that continues, uh, that trend continues, we'll see a game seven. But, um, you know, Miami certainly is going to give Philly all they can handle. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, Game 7 is back in Miami. Uh, it just depends on, on you know, Joel Embiid showing up because he can take over a game by himself. Philadelphia is certainly better at home than they are on the road. And then uh, over in the other Eastern Conference series, number 2 Boston Celtics play the number 3 Milwaukee Bucks. This series we talked about was split one game apiece after two games. Uh, Milwaukee ended up winning Game 3 at home by a score of 103 to 101, very close, tight game. Um, Milwaukee scored late to uh, to take the lead there and win. And then game four was an absolute, uh, you know, same thing, close, back and forth. Boston ended up winning that one, 116 to 108. Uh, that game was in Milwaukee as well. So the series was two games apiece heading into game five, which was back in Boston. Now, Boston was up in this game five. It was it was absolutely crazy. Uh, Boston was up by 14 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Milwaukee just turned it on. Giannis Antetokounmpo took over the game. Uh, he kept hitting. He hit a big three late in the game to help help kind of get that comeback rolling. Drew Holiday was, uh, you know, a big big performer in that game as well. Um, you know, what I'm saying, Milwaukee was able to overcome 14 points. Uh, Giannis got his face split open, took a took an elbow to the eye. Uh, he still played through it. Giannis dropped 40 points and 11 rebounds there in Game Five. Milwaukee ended up erasing that 14 point lead in the fourth quarter to win 110 to 107. Drew Holiday had a block and a steal in the last 10 seconds of the game, becoming the first player in NBA playoff history, at least in the last 25 seasons, to record a block and a steal in the last 10 seconds of the game. So massive performance by Giannis. Uh, huge effort from Drew Holiday. Has the Bucks currently sitting three games to two in that series, heading back to Milwaukee for game six. So the Bucks, the defending NBA champions, they have a chance to close out the Celtics at home uh, on Friday night. So we'll see if they can do that. I certainly like their chances, uh, the way that Gian- Giannis is averaging 33 points, 12 rebounds, and 7 assists per game in this series, which is just enormous. Uh, Jason Tatum is averaging 25 points a game. 
Uh, he shows up every night. We'll have to see. Um, you know, Obviously, by next week's episode, we'll know who won that series. But Milwaukee does have a chance to close out at home. Over in the Western Conference, top overall seed, the Phoenix Suns, playing the number four seed, Dallas Mavericks. We talked last week, uh, Phoenix had won the first two games at home by a, a pretty good margin, both games. Uh, the sh- series shifted back to Dallas for games three and four. Uh, the Mavs, they uh, ended up winning game three, 103 to 94. It was the first time Phoenix has been held under 100 points this postseason. Big reason why. The Mavs won that game is because of their defense. Uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker for the Suns, they combined for 12 turnovers in Game 3, which is the most turnovers that those two have uh, made in a game as teammates. And it was uh, Luka had, uh, it was his fourth game this postseason with more than 25 points and 10 rebounds. So uh, when Luka shows up, uh, the Mavs certainly are a different team, obviously. And then Game 4, Kind of similar story. The Mavs ended up winning that game 111-101. to uh, Chris Paul fouled out after just 23 minutes. He had five points when he got his sixth foul. So Chris Paul not being there for half of the game certainly helped the Mavs. Um, another 20, I think 28-point performance by Luka. And uh, Mavs won 111-101 to even the series at two games apiece. Game three shifted back to, or uh, game five rather, shifted back to Phoenix, and uh, this was just a complete atrocity. Phoenix had a three-point lead at halftime, still relatively close in that, uh, you know, in that first half. Third quarter, uh, I think the Suns outscored the Mavs forty to thirteen in that third quarter, and uh, they won by thirty points. That's, the Suns won one ten to eighty, just a complete atrocity of a performance uh, by the Mavericks. Uh, Luka still had over 25 points. I think he had 28 in that game, but um, just the Mavs did not show up at all. Um, Through five games, the Suns are still dominating the rebounds, uh, averaging 10 more rebounds per game, and, um, you know, that's going to need to change. Luka's averaging 32 points a game, nine rebounds, and seven assists per game so far in this series. Uh, Brunson has had multiple games over 20 points as well, um, certainly in that Game 4 effort. So uh, Dallas gets uh, Game 6 at home. Uh, Phoenix obviously has a chance to close out the series. Uh, I do believe the Mavs uh, are a much better team at home with the home court, home crowd. I would certainly look for the Mavs to win Game 6. Uh, and carry it to Game 7. But I did pick Phoenix to win the series in six games, so that is still very much alive. I'm hoping that the Mavs can um, win Game 6 and then figure it out in Game 7. The home team in this series has also won every single game, so um, you know that would tell you that Dallas has a good chance to win uh, Game 6, but uh, it's certainly not a great chance to beat Phoenix in Phoenix. Uh, you knew that Phoenix was going to win Game 5. They hadn't lost three games all in a row all season, and so no different here in the playoffs. So uh, I do like the Mavs to win Game 6, but uh, we'll have to see on that. And the last playoff series uh, in the Western Conference, the number two Memphis Grizzlies against the number three Golden State Warriors. Uh, this series was tied one game apiece where we left off. Game three was back in Golden State, and that was just a dominating 30-point victory by Golden State, uh, 142-112. to 112. 
And in, you know, that game, again, never particularly close. Game four uh, was much closer, all right? Uh, game four, Golden State ended up winning that one, 101-98. But the big news out of game four in that is that Ja Morant, uh, he's averaging 38 points a game in this series. He ended up getting a pretty nasty bone bruise in his knee in that game four loss. Uh, and the Grizzlies had ruled him out for the rest of the playoffs. All right, not just the series, but the playoffs. Um, so that's pretty That's pretty bad. So you figure uh, Golden State was up three games to one. Series shifted back to Memphis for game five. No John Morant for Memphis, uh, which you think would be a problem, but it turned out to be no problem for Memphis. They dominated the Warriors. Uh, winning 134-95, to which is a 39-point victory. I think that's the biggest margin of victory we've seen in the playoffs uh, so far. But, um, yeah, no, no Morant, no problem for Memphis uh, now. They do have to go back to Golden State for Game 6, all right? Uh, Golden State is leading the series three games to two currently. Um, I don't see this series going back to Memphis, not not with John. You can't, you cannot win three games in a row against Golden State without your best player. Um, so even if Memphis somehow squeaks out Game Six, they're certainly not winning Game Seven. Uh, it just does not happen in the NBA. Uh, Steph Curry is averaging over twenty five points a game in the series. Uh, I think when they get back home here for Game Six, he's just going to light it up. I would not be surprised if he had over thirty points here in Game Six. So. Um, that's currently where we sit. Like I said, all four series have played five games. Uh, got a couple more games. Uh, game six is coming up tonight. A couple more game six is Friday night. So we'll have to see uh, how those turn out. But either way, by next week's episode, all four of these series will be finished. So we'll, we'll get you caught up on that next week. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. Most teams have played between 30 32 games so far as it sits right now. A little bit of movement in the standings over the last week, uh, but some news to get into here as we move along through the standings updates. Before we get into it, the first two teams to 20 wins this year were the New York teams. The Mets and the Yankees were the first two teams to make it to 20 wins. We've since had several more teams join them, uh, four to be exact, on top of those two. So six teams currently sit at more than 20 wins. Uh, but the New York Mets, along with the L.A. Dodgers, are the only two teams in the league to not have been shut out so far in a game this season. Now, they obviously have two of the better run differentials, and that's for good reason. Um, they are certainly two of the better teams in the National League currently, So, uh, but they're also the two teams to not have been shut out. But we'll start off the standings update in the National League, and we will start in the NL East, which is where the New York Mets reside. This is the the biggest division lead out of the six divisions at six games. The New York Mets are twenty one and eleven, six game lead over the Atlanta Braves, who are fifteen and seventeen. Certainly a disappointing season for the Braves coming off of that World Series championship. Both the Miami Marlins and the Philadelphia Phillies sit at 14 and 17, which is six and a half games back of the Mets. And then the Washington Nationals are at 11 and 21, 10 games back of the Mets. Certainly not how they envisioned their season going. Over in the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are 20 and 12, 
leading that division by two games. Now, with the Brewers, outfielder Christian Yelich, he hit for the cycle the other day. It was the third time in his career that he's hit for the cycle, becoming just the sixth player in MLB history to hit for the cycle three different times. So that is an MLB record. Uh, The only other active player with three career cycles is the Dodgers infielder Trey Turner. Now, oddly enough, about Christian Yelich's cycles, all three of them have come against the Cincinnati Reds. All right, so he obviously likes Reds pitching, and uh, he has all three of his career cycles against the Reds. He's he's the only one in that group of six uh, that have hit for three cycles to have all of his come against the same team. So uh, interesting note there. But the Brewers have a two-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 17-13. and Uh, Cardinals are certainly going to be in the mix uh, with that lineup that they got. They can score some runs, um, and uh, they're definitely going to be in the mix as we continue to move along through the season. The Pittsburgh Pirates have been fairly surprising. They're third in the NL Central at 13-17. and Uh, I would have probably picked them to be either last or second to last, but they're right smack dab in the middle of that division. They're six games behind Milwaukee as it sits now. Um, they're two games ahead of the Chicago Cubs, who are at 11-19. And, 19, and uh, the Cubs just not looking great. They've only won three times in their last 10 games. Then the Cincinnati Reds, they are 7-24, and 24, last in the NL Central, dead last in the entire major leagues. Um, they had only won three games out of their first 25, which I mentioned last week. But they went on a little stretch this week where they won three out of four, Uh, And now they've won four out of six, I believe, maybe four out of seven. So they've doubled their win total since last episode. But they're still uh, the very worst team in baseball with only seven wins. All right. Over in the National League West, the L.A. Dodgers are at 20 and nine. They've won seven out of their last 10. They have a one and a half game lead over the San Diego Padres, who are 20 and 12. All right. They've played a couple more games. Um the hottest team in baseball is the third-place team in the NLS currently, the San Francisco Giants. They are winners of five games in a row. Uh, they're the hottest team in the National League, I should say. Giants are. They've won five in a row. They're 19-12. and 12. They're only two games behind the Dodgers. All right, and uh, Wilmer Flores, Giants player the other day, had an interesting stat line. He, uh, he went one for four, but he had six RBIs. So how, how does he do that, you ask? Well, his one hit was, in fact, a grand slam. Then he had a sacrifice fly, and then he walked in a run. So pretty interesting to see a stat line of a guy that went one for four with six RBIs. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are fourth in the NL West at 17-15. and 15. Uh, They have won seven out of their last ten, and they have surpassed the Colorado Rockies, who now reside in that last place spot in the NL West at 16-15. and 15. Rockies have lost four in a row. Uh, taking on water, but that NL West is going to be pretty rugged the west the rest of the way with the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants all playing really well. Uh, but moving over to the American League, the American League East uh, is currently led by the New York Yankees, who are twenty two and eight. Uh, the Yankees have won eight out of their last ten, including three in a row. Um, they have twenty. The Yankees. This is the ninth time in franchise history, that the Yankees have won 22 out of their first 30 games. The other eight times, you ask, uh, 
Well, they made it to the World Series that year that they did that. So uh, fortune would tell you that the Yankees are going to the World Series this year. Uh, I'm not quite ready to say that, but I do believe that they are a good team. They're playing really good baseball. They have a terrific bullpen and uh, obviously a lineup that can score runs. So uh, I, I do like the Yankees this year. They have a four-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 19-13. and 13. Uh, The Rays have won seven out of their last ten. The Toronto Blue Jays are third in the AL East at 17-15. and 15. They're six games behind the Yankees. They've only won three times in their last ten. Uh, the Yankees just beat them three games in a row. Baltimore Orioles, this is another surprise. They are fourth in the AL East at 13-18. and 18. They're actually two games ahead of the Boston Red Sox, who sit dead last in the AL East at 11-20. and 20. Uh, Red Sox have only won twice in their last 10 games. I certainly would have lost a bet if you'd have told me that 31 games into the season, Boston is dead last in the AL East by two games. Uh, you know, uh, Baltimore is two games clear of Boston as it sits. Now, I would have told you Baltimore certainly would have been in last place, but that has not been the case. Over in the AL Central, the Minnesota Twins are up top there at 18-12. and 12. Uh, They've won seven out of their last ten. They have a two-and-a-half game lead over the Chicago White Sox, who are 15-14. and 14. White Sox have won eight out of their last ten, so they're looking really good. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians are third in the AL Central at 15-15. and 15. Three games back of Minnesota. They've won seven out of their last ten. Now, Chicago and Cleveland were in the middle of a series as I record this podcast. The third game of that series got postponed due to a positive COVID test uh, and multiple positive COVID tests in the Cleveland Guardians organization. One of them was manager Terry Francona. He was asymptomatic, but he had a positive test. Now, I thought we were past all this stuff, all right? I really did. Um, I don't know why Major League Baseball is still testing asymptomatic players, but uh, such is the case. Um, All that's going to do is keep games getting postponed. Now, this is the first game postponed this year due to COVID. Last year, uh, there were nine games that were postponed out of the total uh, almost 2,700 for the season, only nine were postponed. And then the year before that, in the COVID-shortened season of 2020, 45 games out of the 900 were postponed. So um, certainly fewer games postponed. This may be the only game we see postponed. Who knows? But, um, you know, COVID, that that whole agenda has kind of run its course. It doesn't seem to be as as prevalent and rampant as it used to uh, last year or the year before. So hopefully we can get past this and play a baseball season without having to postpone games because of this this virus that has seemingly uh, come and gone. Uh, but fourth place in the AL Central is the Kansas City Royals at 10-8. and eight. And then the Detroit Tigers uh, last in the AL Central at 9-22. and 22. They have only won twice in their last 10, and they are the only other team in Major League Baseball, along with the Cincinnati Reds, to only have single-digit wins so far this year. Over in the American League West, the Los Angeles Angels are up top there at 21-12. and 12. They've played really good. Uh, rookie pitcher Reed Detmers, he threw a no-hitter the other night against the Tampa Bay Rays. It was the first individual no-hitter this season. Remember, the New York Mets had a combined no-hitter last week. 
So Reed Detmers is the first uh, first individual no hitter this year. Um, it was actually the twelfth no hitter in Angels franchise history, uh, and he's. Detmers is 22 years old, so he's the youngest Angels pitcher to ever throw a no-hitter. And it was just his 11th start in the big leagues. Pretty impressive stuff there. Um, it was the 316th no-hitter thrown in Major League Baseball history. And in that game, that game was 12 to nothing. All right, uh, the Angels won 12 to nothing. Uh, late in the game, Angels third baseman Anthony Rendon, he stepped up to the plate and he decided to bat left-handed. All right, he had never bat left-handed before. Angels were up by twelve, or I guess eleven at this point, maybe some somewhere. It was up. It was a lot. Well, on the mound for the Rays was outfielder Brett Phillips. He's a you know he's an outfielder, but he was pitching, and he's done that before when they've been down a lot. Brett Phillips will pitch to save the bullpen because he can. Uh, the dude is hilarious. If you've ever seen an interview, I love Brett Phillips. Funny guy. Uh, but Rendon went up there hitting left-handed. You know, you don't want to run the score up any more than it needs to. It's all in the name of fun. And uh, Rendon went up to the plate, probably with a realistic expectation to strike out, ground out, or, uh, you know, maybe maybe take a walk if you're lucky. Well, Rendon gets up there and smacks a 411-foot home run left-handed in his first time batting left-handed. Uh, pretty, pretty funny stuff there. Um that happened, but that game was ugly. Uh, the Angels are legit, is what I'm trying to say. They're a good team. Uh, they were not supposed to be this good. Um, they only have a half-game lead on the Houston Astros, who are the hottest team in baseball right now. They, they've won eight in a row, uh, the Astros have. They're 19-11, and 11, like I said, just a half-game back of the Angels. <clears throat> now, Justin Verlander for the Astros, he pitched a, a gem the other night. He went eight innings, only gave up one hit. He actually took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, which was the eighth time in his career that he's taken a no-hitter into the eighth inning, which is just preposterous. That seems like a large number of games to have a no-hitter going into the eighth inning. But obviously Verlander's won a Cy Young, uh, you know, for a reason, one of the better pitchers. So um, look out for the Astros. They're They're coming in hot. Uh, third place, the AL West is the Seattle Mariners. They're fourteen and eighteen. Um, they're six and a half games back of the Angels. Now you know I've been all over the Mariners this year, uh, but they're taking on water. They've only won twice in their last ten. Fourth place in the AL West, my Texas Rangers. Uh, they're twelve and seventeen. They're seven games behind the Angels. Uh, they've won six out of their last ten. But most importantly, uh, they're watchable this year. Last year they were not watchable at all. This year. They can score runs. Um, they they are at least watchable. They're fairly competitive. Pitching is going to be their their uh, Achilles heel, so to speak, um, because they can't prevent runs from being scored. Um, just gave up ten the other night, but uh, nonetheless, uh, the the lineup can hit and score runs. So, like I said, it, it's you know with with the additions of Simeon and Seager, uh, certainly the Rangers are a lot more watchable. Uh, but last in the AL West, the Oakland A's at 13-19. and 19. Uh, They've only won three times in their last 10 games. But like I said, that's the baseball update for this week. Um, still plenty of baseball to be played. And, um, you know, the division races are all certainly uh, going to change as we move, move along through the season. But um, nonetheless, like I said, we'll, we'll keep you up to date as we move along through the season. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. 
this is a good segment uh, this week in particular, a little heavy on the NFL and the NHL, um, but we'll jump right into it in the National Football League. Uh, the NFL is in the process of releasing each team's schedule. I think the, f- the actual schedules will be released here in about a week or so, uh, but the NFL has already released every team's opponents for next year. They're home and away games, and they've, they've um, you know, kind of, they make it like a process. They don't just release the schedule. The NFL likes to kind of drag it out. Uh, they've released some of the primetime games. Um, like we know, uh, on Christmas Day, the NFL did announce that the middle game on Christmas, remember last week I talked about there's three NFL games on Christmas Day this year, uh, which is on a Sunday. But the middle afternoon time slot game is going to be the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Rams. That's going to be at 4.30 Eastern on Christmas Day on CBS and Nickelodeon, that dual broadcast there. So they did release that, so that's interesting. Uh, And then the uh, strength of schedules have already come out based on their each team's opponent's winning percentage from last year. That's how they figure out the strength of schedule. So uh, teams with the toughest strength of schedule for this year based on their opponent's win percentage from last year. The Los Angeles Rams technically have the toughest schedule. Uh, opponent's winning percentage was 567 last year, which makes sense. They are the Super Bowl champions, so they should um, they should have the toughest schedule this year. Arizona Cardinals are number two, second toughest at uh, with a 543 winning percentage. Cincinnati Bengals, your AFC champions, they're the third toughest schedule at 536 winning percentage. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, fourth toughest at a 535 winning percentage. And then tied for fifth, the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs with a 533 winning percentage. Now, so that's that's not surprising at all. Uh, those are all very good teams that went far into the playoffs. So you would expect them to have a difficult schedule. Now, the teams with the easiest strength of schedule based on the opponent's winning percentage from last year, the bottom five teams with the easiest schedule for this upcoming season based on last year's winning percentage. Uh, Number 28 is the Detroit Lions. The opponent's winning percentage was 467 last year. Uh, And then the last four teams uh, are all four of the NFC East teams. Number 29, the New York Giants with 465. Number 30 is the Philadelphia Eagles with a 464 winning percentage. And then tied for last, the Washington Commanders and my Dallas Cowboys. Both of them have the the easiest strength of schedule for this upcoming year with an opponent's winning percentage of 462 last year. So uh, I certainly like to see that. I know the Cowboys, you know, people question their draft or whatever. uh, But nonetheless, it is. uh, You know, I think they had a a good draft overall. uh, But it is nice to see that they are – uh, one of the teams with the easiest schedule heading into this year, although there are some tough games on it. It just uh, it's nice having them in the NFC East and getting to play those other three teams, New York, Philly, and Washington, uh, twice a year. So that is certainly going to be helpful. Now, uh, the NFL, um, based on those opponents that I've already listed, you know the teams have to do some traveling. The team that will do the most traveling this year is the Seattle Seahawks. They will travel an NFL high 29,466 miles during the season. They're going to change time zones 34 different times. All right, so that's just 
part of being in that Pacific Northwest and not having a team really close to you, um, you do have to travel quite a bit. And uh, they travel almost 30,000 miles this year, which is insane considering the Pittsburgh Steelers travel an NFL low 6,442 miles this season, and they do not leave the Eastern time zone at all. So quite an advantage there for Pittsburgh. They're traveling uh, about 23,000 miles less than the Seattle Seahawks. Now that does come into play, obviously, over the course of a 17-game season. It kind of wears you out to travel that much. Um, But for my fellow Dallas Cowboys fans, the Cowboys are going to travel a total of 19,566 miles. So uh, they will be traveling quite a bit. Of course, some of those miles are racked up on their trip to the uh, East Coast there when they'll play New York, uh, Philly, and Washington at least once on the road. So uh, that happens every year, of course. But Cowboys travel uh, almost 20,000 miles this year, so quite a bit of traveling, but I just thought that was uh, interesting notes regarding the schedules. Um, The second overall pick in the NFL draft, Aiden Hutchinson, he's officially signed his uh, pro contract. He uh, agreed to a four-year, $35.71 million contract that is fully guaranteed, and he got $23.15 million at signing, so Uh, Obviously, some life-altering money there for the number two overall pick. Uh, A free agent of note, um, Miami. Miami Dolphins, they've signed running back Sony Michel to a one-year, $2 million contract. And uh, this is kind of interesting. He joins a very, very crowded backfield in Miami. Uh, Obviously, the the Dolphins have had kind of a weak spot in running back the last several years. And uh, they went out and they uh, they signed Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds. Uh, as free agents, now Sony Michelle, and they already still have Miles Gaskin and Savan Ahmed uh, on their roster as well. So a uh, very crowded uh, running back room there. They're, they're five deep. Uh, wouldn't certainly think that five of them would all, would all make the roster, but I certainly see at least uh, three or four of them making the roster for sure. Um, <clears throat> the New York Giants, surprising release for them. They, uh, they've released Pro Bowl corner James Bradbury, making him a free agent. Now, this comes after the Giants could not find a trade partner. Uh, They tried to trade Bradbury uh, to create some cap room, but they were not able to find a partner. Uh, The move is going to create a little over $10 million in salary cap savings this year. So that's simply the purpose. Um, He's still still a top-flight corner. Uh, Certainly would would like to have him on uh, on my team, but um, the Giants did it to save money. Um, but some more interesting news uh, was the fact that it was announced that Tom Brady, he has a, an agreement in place with Fox Sports to be their lead NFL analyst on TV whenever he stops playing. So he unretired, obviously, this year to come back. This might be his final year. Who knows? But um, Fox released a statement saying that Quote, Tom will not only call our biggest NFL games with Kevin Burkhart, but he's also going to serve as an ambassador for us. Now, the deal is lucrative. Uh, We're talking 10 years, $375 million for Tom Brady to be in the broadcast booth. Now, thus far in his career, not counting endorsements, just simply salary, uh, money that he's earned from playing is $333 million. So this is 
uh, about $40 million more uh, this contract than he's made in his entire NFL career thus far just from playing. So that is an immense amount of money. He will join uh, quite an elite broadcast crew across the board. All right, so he's going to be paired up with Kevin Burkhart whenever he uh, retires again for good. And they'll they'll take over the Fox broadcast. Of course, CBS has Jim Nance and Tony Romo, which is probably the best. Uh, NBC this year has Mike Tirico and Chris Collingsworth. ESPN now has Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, as they both have moved over from Fox. And then Amazon, we talked about this. They have Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. So uh, those are five very good uh, broadcasting duos. And, um, you know, Fox this year, Burkhart's still going to be with Fox. Uh, We'll see who kind of fills in, um, you know, on Fox this year. But uh, I would expect this year to be Brady's last, um, especially if they if they do well. But either way, that's that's quite the uh, the broadcasting duos there across the board there in the NFL. Uh, moving over to the National Hockey League, all right, quite a bit to get to here. Um, we had another uh, coaching coach get fired uh, in the NHL this this season uh, after this season we talked about uh, the Detroit Red Wings and Philadelphia Flyers last week firing their coaches uh, this week a third Eastern Conference team has fired their head coach and that would be the New York Islanders they have fired head coach Barry Trotz after three seasons with the team uh, he had taken over for the Islanders uh, in 2019 after winning the Stanley Cup in 2018 with the Washington Capitals uh, in his three seasons with the Islanders, Barry Trotz had a record of 152, 106, and 34. So certainly above 500. Uh, they missed the playoffs this year, uh, which was obviously a big disappointment for a team that uh, was coming off of, a, a, I think, a second-round run last year in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see. Barry Trotz is obviously one of the better head coaches in the National Hockey League, has been coaching for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Um, But I did come across this interesting stat regarding uh, NHL fan attendance from the regular season this past year. We're obviously in the playoffs, so these numbers don't don't include the playoffs at all. But uh, this was the average attendance per home game for each of these teams. And it it excludes outdoor games that were played or any special uh, games that were played. But... um, the average attendance for, for teams this season. We're, we'll just do it based on percentage of the arena that was full. Uh, Vegas, they had 104% attendance every night. Basically, they were, they were above capacity every single home game this season, which is very impressive. Obviously, it's Vegas. Uh, they put on quite the show before the games, but I just thought it was interesting that they are – they are almost uh, they're four percent over capacity on average every game. Uh, other teams with one hundred percent capacity on average, meaning they sold out every home game every night. The Nashville Predators, Minnesota Wild, Boston Bruins, Seattle Kraken, which is very impressive. Obviously, it was their expansion year, so you can kind of see that, even though they weren't real good. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Washington Capitals. All of those teams had 100% average attendance. Um, the New York Islanders that we just mentioned, they had 98% capacity. St. Louis Blues, 97. 
Pittsburgh Penguins, Colorado Avalanche, they both were at 97 as well. And then my Dallas Stars were at 96.5% capacity every night, which is very good. It uh, does not appear that way on TV when you watch it, but um, such is the case. And then uh, Chicago Blackhawks, New York Rangers, both at 93%. Carolina Hurricanes, 92%. And then the Vancouver Canucks were at 91% capacity um, this season for the regular season games. Those were the only teams that were above 90% capacity. So uh, I just thought that was interesting uh, given the fact that uh, most venues hold between 17 to uh, 18,000 people on average. Um, Madison Square Garden, you know, is, is right around. They're probably the fewest. Yeah, they're, they're still, everything's right around. We'll say about 17,000 or so, give or take, for an NHL venue. But, um, yeah, nonetheless, I just, uh, again, I thought that was interesting. Um, but the biggest news out of the National Hockey League from this past week, aside from the, the playoffs that we've already discussed, was the NHL draft lottery took place, and that is determined the uh, the top half of the draft order. Now, if you've listened to this podcast since its inception, I have talked about uh, draft lotteries uh, at nausea, <laughs> all right, and uh, I, you know I've, I've covered it several times. And you know that I'm not a fan of the lottery. I think it, it every sport, which uh, every sport has their own way of doing things. Um, the National Football League is actually the only sport that doesn't do the lottery system, which uh, I believe is actually the, the best way to do it, where your last place team picks first and your first place team uh, championship winning team picks last and everybody else falls in between in reverse order. So I think that's the easiest and fairest way to do it. I think, you know, the, the idea of the lottery is to prevent tanking, but um, it's been shown that teams can still win the lottery without having the worst record, which kind of defeats the purpose of, of what you would want out of a draft. You want your bad teams to get better, you know, and so um, I, I just think the lottery system is flawed. Uh, but nonetheless, the lottery was conducted the other night for the 2022 NHL draft. The Montreal Canadiens have the first pick in the draft, followed by the New Jersey Devils, the Arizona Coyotes, the Seattle Kraken, Philadelphia Flyers, Columbus Blue Jackets, Ottawa Senators, Detroit Red Wings, Buffalo Sabres, and Anaheim Ducks. Those round out your top 10. And, uh, you know, the the Canadians had the highest percentage to win, so they did. Arizona was second. Seattle was third. They uh, got bumped down by New Jersey, who always seems to uh, continually put their name near the top of that lottery list. But, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily have any issues. I think Seattle kind of got hosed a little bit. They got hosed last year for sure as the expansion team. They got the second overall pick instead of the first overall pick that went to Buffalo, which, again, is why I think the lottery system is flawed. I don't understand how you can have a, an expansion team not have the first overall pick, but uh, that was the case last year. Uh, the NHL has changed their draft lottery rules uh, to where a team cannot win the lottery more than twice in any five-year span. Uh, that You can call that the Edmonton Oilers rule. Um, the Oilers won it, uh, I think, three times in a very short period of time here recently, which allowed them to get, you know, the likes of 
Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Taylor Hall, I think, with those three picks. Um, but, you know, I don't really have any issues per se. Those teams that I listed were all very bad teams at the bottom of the standings. So uh, at least that's appropriate that they're all inside the top ten. But we'll uh, close out the NHL portion of this with a retirement. Uh, longtime forward Patrick Marlowe has announced his retirement from the National Hockey League after 23 seasons. Uh, he's 42 years old. He sat out this past season uh, after posting just nine points in 56 games last year. So, uh, But last year when he did play, Patrick Marlowe became the NHL's all-time leader in games played with 1,779. He passed Gordie Howe in that area, which is obviously very impressive. Great longevity, especially in a very physically demanding sport. And over his career, Patrick Marlowe finished with 566 goals and uh, 1,197 points. So almost 1,200 points in 23 seasons with the San Jose Sharks, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Pittsburgh Penguins. So um, he did not win a Stanley Cup. Uh, don't know if he will get into the Hall of Fame, but uh, certainly a very impressive career for Patrick Marlowe. Moving over to Major League Baseball. They are taking a page out of the NFL's playbook here. The Major League Baseball uh, front office announced that the MLB intends to play regular season games in London, England, in 2023, 2024, and 2026. All right, so next year, the year after next, and then again in 2026. Now, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs are the leading candidates to play in next year's London game because they were originally scheduled to play in London, those two teams, during the 2020 season, but that was obviously canceled uh, due to the pandemic. So, uh, they are believed to get another crack at that. Uh, and then the MLB is also planning on holding a home run derby uh, at London's Crystal Palace Park uh, on July 9th this year, which is fairly close to when the All-Star game is. Uh, but it's just interesting, you know, the fact that London is, is getting as much attention from American professional sports, um, more so really than any other city in the world uh, that's not in the United States or Canada. So uh, just interesting there. Uh, baseball is going to be being played in London. And so uh, that's, you know, Europe is not really uh, a hotbed for uh, baseball or baseball talent. That's usually in North and South America, Central America. So I'm not sure they'll have quite the following over there that the NFL does, but London usually shows out pretty well. Uh, with football fans, so maybe they'll translate over to baseball as well. Uh, and the Na uh, National Basketball Association, the NBA, Denver Nuggets center Nikola Jokic. He has been voted the NBA's most valuable player for the second consecutive season. Uh, he won the NBA MVP award last year. And prior to that, uh, Milwaukee Bucks forward Giannis Antetokounmpo, he won it the two years prior to that. So it's now been four years since we've seen anybody other than Giannis or Nikola Jokic win this award. I certainly would have thought Joel Embiid uh, had a great chance to win this year, uh, had a phenomenal year, continuing that in the playoffs, showing just how important he is to that team. Um, I, you know, I think Embiid probably got hosed, but uh, you certainly can't argue with Jokic's stats 
from this regular season or, frankly, in their uh, first round of the playoffs. But some other NBA news, the Sacramento Kings, they have officially hired their new head coach, and that is Golden State Warriors assistant coach Mike Brown. All right, Brown signed a four-year contract to be the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, It will not take effect until after the playoffs, so he will finish out this season with Golden State, who uh, is looking pretty solid right now in that Western Conference. Uh, Mike Brown has been a head coach for eight seasons between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Los Angeles Lakers. He has a career coaching head coaching record of 347 and 216, so certainly well above 500. He was the coach of the year in 2007 with Cleveland, and his career playoff record is 47 and 36. So that's important uh, because he's shown that he can get to the playoffs and he can have success in the playoffs. The Sacramento Kings have not made the playoffs in 16 years, which is the longest playoff drought in NBA history. So. Uh, They have a good group of young talent there in Sacramento to to build around. And, um, you know, so I'm not saying the Kings are close to making the playoffs, but I certainly think Mike Brown's resume would make it to where uh, Sacramento would be maybe a tad bit more competitive uh, than they have been. Um, Quick note on the PGA Tour, um, ESPN, uh, they will have the broadcast for the first two rounds of the PGA Championship next weekend at Southern Hills. Uh, but ESPN announced that Joe Buck is going to be leading a Manning, Manning cast-style broadcast during the PGA Championship next week at Southern Hills Country Club. He's going to be co-hosting with Michael Collins, who is uh, you know one of the ESPN uh, golf insiders. And they are going to be joined uh, by Fred Couples, Charles Barkley, and both Peyton and Eli Manning at some point during the PGA Championship broadcast on ESPN Plus, they're going to have extended coverage. If you've watched, you know NFL Monday Night Football on ESPN, you know what the Manning Cast is about. I've mentioned that that's staying uh, for the next several seasons. Uh, it's pretty funny. It's it's good. You know they still show the uh, the event, but it's it's good kind of um, you know banter back and forth, good humor. Uh, it's it's pretty fun, so I'm excited to see how that translates to golf. Uh, Joe Buck, working for Fox. Now, this is obviously his first year at ESPN, but working for Fox, um, he had previously led the U.S. Open coverage when Fox held the U.S. Open broadcasting rights from 2015 to 2019. So Joe Buck is familiar with golf, uh, just as he is pretty much with every sport. The dude is... Uh, Jack of all trades. I do like Joe Buck. I know he gets a lot of flack, but I do actually like him. Um, now ESPN is currently in the third year of an eleven-year contract to televise the PGA Championship. So uh, we will be, we will be seeing a lot more of Joe Buck uh, on future PGA Championships as we move forward um, these next several years. But a quick final note, and I normally wouldn't cover this, but other than the fact that there was a major upset, and that was the Kentucky Derby this past weekend, was the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby. Of course, uh, all the stars were out there uh, at the Derby. Um, The winner was a horse by the name of Rich Strike. And I only bring this up. I'm only covering the Kentucky Derby. I mean, because Rich Strike was uh, the Derby's biggest underdog at odds of 80-1. to 
before the race started. He was the very last in terms of the favorites. He was the the highest underdog at 80 to 1. And he made up quite a bit of ground there on that final stretch. Actually, a pretty impressive victory. Um, But if you put any money down on Rich Strike to win that race, you got paid out handsomely. So, uh, like I said, just not something that I would normally cover, but I just thought that that was interesting that an 80 to 1 horse uh, was your winner of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Not sure where his odds are going to fall there uh, in the Belmont and the Preakness, but um, it'll be interesting to see that. you know, again, just pretty, pretty impressive victory there for Rich Strike. But that is going to wrap up the 75th episode of Sports Island. Uh, plenty of good sports on TV this weekend. Uh, you know, the NHL playoffs are, are rocking and rolling. Same with the NBA playoffs. We're almost at the conference finals with those. Um, you know, PGA Tour, the, the Byron Nelson's always a good tournament. Got a great field this weekend. Uh, and then, of course, can't argue with uh, some Major League Baseball. So plenty to watch, plenty to get through next week uh, on the episode, and we'll uh, we'll get you caught up on how the playoffs are all looking, and uh, we'll have a, a major championship preview in golf on next week's episode as well with the uh, PGA Championship looming there next weekend. So um, like I said, I'll be definitely tuning in to all the sports this weekend. Uh, it's a good weekend for that, so we'll uh, we'll get you caught up next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.